0: Welcome to On The Continent, your one-stop shop for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel.
1: And I'm Nicky Bandini.
0: In Italy, Serie A kicks off the new season without Lukaku, but with Mourinho. Also from Germany with (laughs) Lewandowski. You see what I did there. As Bayern already win their first trophy of the season and after... An unlikely thrashing and a dressing room bust up. Whatever happened to the likely Leons, who, well, last season looks like they were title contenders in League One? Should we start off, uh, Nicky, with what's going on in Serie A at the moment? Definitely. Uh, the headline news, of course, <laughs> I would have thought was Inter not only losing Lukaku, but also losing another frontline player.
1: Well, yeah. No, Lukaku's gone, Hakimi's gone, Antonio Conte's gone, who of course is not a player, but was introduced by Beppe Marotta and referred to as their top player. So Inter are um, hugely, hugely transformed from where they were last season. I I, I want to say diminished because I think they are. Um, and it's, it's a fascinating season at Inter, actually, because I do think uh, it's really intriguing and exciting to see what Simone Inzaghi who has earned this chance i think his his consistency of of performance at lazio and what he turned that team into really gave it an identity and something very clear in terms of its style and how it played football he's earned an opportunity like this but he came into this club and he'd literally said the day before agreeing to join inter he agreed terms on a contract renewal at at lazio this offer from inter turned his head goes to inter and he absolutely believed that Lukaku was part of that plan and he believed that because Lukaku believed that Lukaku was part of that plan. Lukaku showed up to training, pre-season training, a day early. He told people days before joining Chelsea um, that he was looking forward to his future and he didn't want to go anywhere, that he was happy where he was and and it was this thing which actually he has talked about even since joining Chelsea. uh, He gave an interview to The the Guardian I think this morning and Winning trophies, being some, you know, being finally in his career, getting to be the man and to win things. But I guess um, money talks, I guess he was sold on the Chelsea project and it has left Inzaghi with uh, a completely transformed outlook because you've lost the striker who scored most goals for you in Serie a last season, the player who got the most assists for you in Serie a last season and also the player who the fans loved most of all, the one who was the icon, the one who did drag the team forward, the one who does have two murals outside San Siro dedicated to him which have both been vandalized of course I was going to ask about those
0: um,
1: it's it's so transformative and mm. and so far in terms of replacing him they've brought in Edin Dzeko who sure no one's questioning Edin Dzeko's talent his pedigree but he is 35 years old he is a player that Roma were desperate to get off their books because his salary was just one of those burdens on them and he was injured a lot last season was out of favor um, at a certain point in Palo Fonseca it, it looks really bad. It looks really bad. And I think even I've had to sort of check myself a little bit the other day because um, you say all these things. You also point out, by the way, Christian Eriksen, we still don't know if he'll ever play football again. You know, it, it, seems un, it seems hard to imagine it happening, but he hasn't yet sort of made that statement that he won't. So even I've sort of looked at all that and thought, well, this is completely catastrophic. Take a step back and you can say, look, this team still has... Everything from the back three that was the tightest defence in Serie A last season. Really good defence. Divrai, De Bastoni, Skriniar. Brilliant. It's got Nicola Barella and Marcelo Brozovic in central midfield. Stefano Sensi if he can sort of stay fit enough and, and and reach those levels again. That's a great core in midfield.
2: Added Cialinoglu as well.
1: Added Cialinoglu from from, from from Milan. It's called Artara Martinez up front. This is not suddenly a team of scrubs, but you still can't turn away from looking at this in the big picture and going, God, it's... It's a lot less than what it was last season.
2: But that's what it's about, really. It's about confidence, isn't it? Mm. And it, it reminds me a little bit, although it's a different reason for making those sales, um, to the Monaco team that won the 27, 2017 title in France because they had their plan. Um, we've discussed it before. You get rid of um, Bakayoko, Bernardo Silva, you balance the books, everything's cool. And then they make that sale too many because they're offered more than three times what they paid for Benjamin Mendy world record fee for a fullback. And then at that point, it's, it's a great deal on a, on a, on a financial standpoint. And clearly they needed to make the Lukaku deal into, but it's, I mean, I mean, even more so with him because he's such a talisman. Is it the sale too many where it rocks confidence and, what has happened before that's rocked Lukaku's confidence in the project?
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a really, really fascinating parallel. And I agree with you about the idea of a sale too many. Hakimi was, everyone knew Hakimi was going. And it's yeah, it's a good
2: price in this market. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's disappointing, but you've had him for one season and you've got like a, something like two thirds in, in, increase in his value in one season, you've sold him. You know, that's business that you can understand. And you can also look at that and say, yes, he was really good. But we we can we can find something that works in that position. Lukaku, again, it's not just about his talent; it's about what he represented in that project, in that team. The he personality he puts a shift he was. in,
0: doesn't he? He does. He, he
1: puts the team on his shoulders, Dot, and he mm. really did it. Inter, like he he was so relishing being the man there, and Inter so wanted him to be the man there, and I think that's really really stark contrast with some of the places he's been in his career. I think he got that at Everton. Mm. But at Everton, the project was not as ambitious as Inter's. Whereas at Manchester United, I don't think he ever was treated like that. And it it was seemed like such a uh, a symbiosis. And again, the way he talked about it, I think that selling Lautaro, on paper, you could look at that and go, is it as good? You've got a younger player, someone who's got more sort of time to give. But I think it would not have had the emotional impact that selling Lukaku has had. I think selling Lukaku is really upset people and especially because again he himself was saying days earlier now i'm here and i'm doing this i'm looking forward to it is there a sale too many again i i don't i just don't see that you can replace what he gave you and that, and that is a really really big open question for him to look the transfer window isn't closed so no. maybe they can go and do some business that makes you feel better about this um but i i do think that um It's a pretty tough ask to sell two players that important in one summer and not come away from it with your aspirations uh, hugely, hugely dented by
2: it. I think in terms of choices, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you you were saying it would have been better to sell Lautaro than it would have been to sell Lukaku. And I agree with you. The, The question is, if you sell Lautaro, can you keep Lukaku? Well, yeah. does, does that shake his confidence? I mean, maybe, maybe, this is just me speculating here, but if they, he, the thing that changes his mind clearly is he knows the club has got to make more sales. And if the club say to him, well, we've got to sell one of the two of you.
1: Yeah. and I want to be the one that gets out and gets a good deal. Yeah.
2: yeah, And and look. And uh, that's understandable, I think. It,
1: it is also worth stressing, and you've sort of already touched on it, like in terms of the financials of this deal, it's, it's, it, it's extraordinary business again for Inter because they signed him for $60 million. So again, you've added, I mean, it's not quite double, but it's getting towards double
2: after two, amazing after two years
1: that you've got loads out of. Mm. And he's not old, but he's also not young. So, mm. you know, you're not necessarily going to expect that value to keep going up and up and up. And it's in the toughest market for decades in European football, really, um, yeah. because of COVID. So financially, it's it's a better deal than I think you could get for Lautaro right now. And there is a case that Lautaro has got much more to give in his career. And, I'm, and funnily enough, in that dynamic that you just talked about, Andy, it's a, it's a thought I hadn't really thought about. And now you say that, I think to myself, yeah, I think if Lautaro goes, Lukaku probably is saying, what's happening here? What's the project? I'm like, do I want to be here? Whereas Lukaku going, I can imagine L- uh, Lautaro looking around and going, okay, now I'm the man. Yeah, Now I get exactly. to do this. Exactly. Um, and actually that is something that I think Lautaro might, might want, even though I think he also loved playing with Lukaku and there's, they had a brilliant partnership. There's
2: been a bit of fishing for a new contract already, hasn't mm. there? <laughs>
0: Well, they don't waste time, do they? No. <laughs> um, the, the clearly, and what you said, Nikki, about your ambitions being diminished, the expectations from the fans won't be as great, I imagine, this season. No. I mean,
1: well, the, the, I think expectation in terms of what they think will happen is, is is obviously gone down. That doesn't mean they're happy about it. No. Sure. Um, a furious fan base at Inter at the moment. I'm mutinous. Um, um, I would say in terms of their relationship with the um with the ownership and and everything that's gone on I, I it's extraordinary because when they won the title you had fans literally singing uh, homages to stephen shang the club president and then within days you've got <laughs> open letters from fan uh, fan groups that are hostile that are furious that are um you know telling them to 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 shape up or ship out basically which i mean like in in the long run I can't see Suning staying involved in the club anyway because the Chinese investment laws, the way they've gone out, it's just not practical. But they need to find a way of getting out that isn't uh, disastrous for them, which is going to be complicated at this point. I
2: mean, that's the question. Are they remembered as the owners who brought the title back after a decade or are they remembered (laughs) as... The owners who lost Pirelli from okay, the shirt. Right. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's 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 maybe a lost a, a lost too many.
1: No, there is like a real loved and lost thing here, right? Like, would you rather, as Inter fans, um, assuming this doesn't lead to sort of total catastrophe and bankruptcy or something sort of unthinkable, would you rather have had that one year of of smashing Juventus and and getting back on top, and then lose it for a while, or would you rather have uh, plodded along in in fourth place and uh, not even fourth place they have been in some season recently. So. That is
2: that is the thing, isn't it? Uh, like, if you go back to that that. F- that run under Mancini and Mourinho,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. they're not beating amazing sides in the league. This is different, even if it did end up with a treble in 2010. But I mean, there must be a sense, I think with Inter fans of, here we go again with Allegri coming back to Juventus. Although I I tend to think they're in a bit of a weird spot because the, the squad needed a bit of reconstruction when he left. It still needs a bit of reconstruction now. They're further away from the Champions League than when he left and a a realistic pop at it. Although maybe they've moved away from that we have to win it, which is just a really unhealthy way to, I think, run any club. The the question for me, and I've touched on this elsewhere, the fact that the best bits of Juventus last season, with all due respect to the goals that Cristiano Ronaldo scored, is where Chiesa and Murata click. But all of a sudden, we're talking about a new contract for Dybala, who's a favourite of Allegri. They can't shift Aaron Ramsey, which is why they haven't brought back Miralem Pjanic yet. Mm. But it just feels like he wants to run it back.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think there's a a, a whole series of of intriguing dynamics playing at, at Juventus right now. Ronaldo is obviously this big overarching thing. Um, I personally can't see how he ends up leaving this season because who's going to take up those wages? So I think yeah. this last year is inevitable. I don't think at all that that Instagram statement that he put out cleared anything up. I've, some sort of reports in Italy sort of, uh, there was an Instagram post, a post if you guys haven't seen it, and um, Ronaldo basically has a, a a very angry attack of people who he says are frivolously discussing my, my future in a disrespectful way to the clubs. Um, And there were immediate reports in Italy saying, Ronaldo, uh, you know, sort of, Staying at Juventus. And he doesn't say that, He doesn't though, say does it he? At all. He doesn't say it yeah. at all. Um, so I don't think he wants to be there particularly, but I think there's not going to be another out for him. So I think he's there. But you're right that the team is 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 trying to sort of stack its deck for the post-Ronaldo now. And, and I think that it's going to be really, really inter- interesting to see how Allegri even handles Ronaldo. He's already said publicly he's going to have to sit some games out like everybody else. Um, but it has created this huge power shift to Dybala, who is got one year left on his contract, who they were hoping to get a quick extension done for, but they have not been able to get a quick extension done for. And suddenly Dybala, who has had up and down the last couple of years, he did well under Sarri when he was um when he was fit, he actually got player of the season, but um he he was um I don't know, he was was really a sort of a concentrated part of that season where he did well rather than consistently. And even if you go back to the end of Allegri's last tenure, Yes, twenty-two goals the season before Ronaldo arrives. The season that Ronaldo arrives, DiBala scored five times and was basically considered to be a less good foil for Ronaldo than Manzukic. So DiBala, who has not been—he's had brilliant, brilliant moments—but I think he's twenty-seven now and he's never been the superstar that I think people thought he was going to become when he was in his early twenties. He's—he's got bags of talent, but the consistent production has never actually happened for him. Really, up to this point in his career. And and suddenly I think that he has this tremendous power with this new contract and how much are Juventus going to stretch for him. Stepping aside from all that, I think, sure, but they've got Federico Chiesa who is becoming something really extraordinary. He's a superstar. Yeah. I think he's one of Italian football's real superstars now and and is only unless something horrible happens, like an injury, he's, he should only get better from here. Um they've got um uh, Manuel Locatelli coming in on an absolutely outrageous bargain of a deal. They're going to get him essentially free for the first couple of years just on loan and then when they have to sign him at the end of it for uh, £35 of all the bonuses are coming in. It's, it's. I know we're in a down period but that's that's a bargain for a player who's uh, an Italy international and, and has really the quality that they've been lacking in that midfield in terms of someone who can put this foot on the ball. Um, you've got uh Kulisevsky still who, yeah, disappointing last season, but again, no shortage of talent there. there's there's so much still to like in this team. Hmm. Um and of course still for now Kielini and Bonucci, the back delict, who's been um again, not hasn't been a completely um smooth uh, transition, but I think he's developing in the right direction still is it's it's still a very good team and it's Allegri. I I, mm-hmm. I find it hard to I find it hard to cast them as anything other than favorites, which doesn't mean they win it in the end because there are some other teams still to talk about. And I know we're talking about Italy a lot right now, but Juventus entered the favourites for sure.
0: Okay, never mind the favourites. Let's <laughs> talk about the Dark Horses. That's what a lot of our listeners uh, want to hear about. Uh, Tom Fornelli, and incidentally, if you do want to get in touch with a question for the team here at OTC, then uh, feel free to drop us a line. At Football Ramble, uh, at Dotton Bio, at nikki Bandini. And also at Andy Brassel as well. So this is from Tom, who says, who is the dark horse to win the Scudetto? And why is it Napoli? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you know, I, I, I saw this late last night as I was going to bed. I saw this tweet and I loved it because I had filed a few hours earlier my Guardian um, Serie A preview in which I cast Napoli as a dark horse. So I was ah. like, this guy gets it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I agree with Tom. Um I, I think that uh, when you... It, it's been an extraordinarily extraordinarily disruptive summer for lots of Serie A clubs in as much as um, eight of the top 10 teams from last season changed managers. So in terms of the overall picture, it's, it's, there's a lot of change. Napoli are one of the teams that changed managers. But their team has basically stayed the same. They haven't lost any big pieces yet. Again, the window isn't closed yet. And under um, Gennaro Gattuso, a lot of people felt that they were slightly... Underperforming, that they weren't at the level they should have been. Spalletti is a manager who's hasn't won Serie A, but he's won cups in Italy. He's been a, a, a manager of Roma teams that came really close to the title in Italy. Um, he is a, a manager with great pedigree, and um, and he's won in, in 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 Zenit. And he's if you look at that squad and you think, well, even last season with, with Napoli, Victor Osserman, who's whose club record signing, was injured quite a bit. If he keeps that team together and if Osimen is fit and has now sort of fully had a year to integrate and you've got all of these options in attack alongside him from Insignia to Mertens um, to uh oh, Hernandez sorry my mind was going blank and then you've got Jelinski in midfield behind them you've got Diego Denma he's a little bit sad he's injured for the beginning of the season but you've got him in, in the longer run you've still got Koulibaly anchoring it all at the back you've still got a really good team hmm. Sparretti as manager I mean, he's had ups and downs, but if if this is um a season where nobody is quite dominant, I, I could see this team putting together a run. The talent is there. The question is whether or not Spalletti can put it together.
2: I really love this theme of like Serie A sort of going back to the future with <laughs> um, him coming back with Mourinho coming back as well. And I thought have... he was
0: the dark horse, Mourinho at Roma.
2: Well, well I, I, guess, I, I guess after after the, the, the last couple of years, he's really a dark horse, isn't he? <laughs> or for people outside Italy, because I thought the interesting thing, the way he was received when he took the Roma job, Jose Mourinho, in the Italian press was... It felt like they were receiving a different Mourinho yeah. to the Mourinho that has been at Tottenham for the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, Mourinho is frozen in time in Italy as the, the treble winner of 2010, um, which this is uh, going to be a, a make or break, I guess, for him because either he could win again and everyone will think, my goodness, this Roma team was not ready to win the title when he came along, or he could shatter everyone's illusions that they've held on to for a decade. I, I love the Tammy Abraham signing. Um, I, I really love it. I, I think it's it's such a a change for Roma. I can't think of the last striker at Roma who really liked to play on the, the shoulder of a defender and did it well. You know, Cecho's been brilliant, but he is a, a target man. He's someone who wants to hold the ball up and does a wonderful job of bringing his teammates into play. Abraham's going to get in behind and, and break into the box. And the question, of course, is... Is Mourinho the man to get the mess out of it? Certainly, it's it's a, a crying shame for um, for, for Roma that, that Spinazzolo is going to miss the start of the season after his injury at the Euros because that pace, we saw how much he could do for Italy and I think that combination could be really fascinating if you've got that real speed down the wing and you've got someone who can get in, in behind defenders. But I I like Abraham's chances of of, of doing one well in Serie A. There's something about his profile. I think that, cliche though it is, um, Italy does still... Lack sometimes for those sort of real, um, explosive, get-in-behind players sometimes, and and I think he's he's got that uh, in bags. Um, whether or not Mourinho is is the right man to take advantage of it, whether or not Mourinho is the right man to. Uh, bring Nicola Zagnolo who's been out for a year and a half but was previously sort of one of the great coming talents of Italian football.
2: He's looked good pre-season, hasn't he? he? Has. And he's really muscled up as yeah. well.
1: I think that happens sometimes when players get hurt and end up in rehab is they sort of have mm. so much time in the gym they sort of commit to all of it. But he well, has. he's
2: he's done he's had like two injuries in a row basically yeah. so he's he's had a lot of time to work on his own basically.
1: <laughs> mm. Um and and lots of other really talented players there Pellegrini as well. But there are questions. There is, hang on, Mourinho, didn't you have a horrible relationship with Mikatarian when you were together in, in Manchester?
0: Big question.
1: Hang on, you know, Mourinho, Chris Smalling has been brilliant at Roma because Fonseca wanted to play this high line and his speed was so excellent. But again, it's not how you play, is it, José? It's not, it's not, it's, again, didn't work out at Manchester United when you were there. We'll see. Mourinho, I think, has probably. The greatest opportunity he could have found himself in European football, pretty much, to reinvent himself, because Rome has the attention, Rome has mm-hmm. the prestige, and Roma haven't won in a while. So the opportunity is is there to really write uh, an extraordinary new chapter. But those of us who have paid attention to his last decade, um, and especially the latter part of it, really, it's unfair to say that the whole decade hasn't been hasn't had its highs. But it's it's hard to. It's hard to remain optimistic that we won't see the bad, Jose.
0: Yeah. may have lost his mojo. And it hasn't gone unnoticed that Italy have won everything this year, from the Euros to the Eurovision Song Contest, 100 metres final in the Olympics, and 4 by metres final as well, men's finals. So they must fancy themselves ahead of the World Cup. They must really fancy themselves.
1: Oh, wow. Look, um... Mancini said before well certainly the day he got the Italy job first press conference he said he wanted to win the World Cup not the Euros he said the World Cup and he said of course the Euros come first so <laughs> step one completed
2: let's uh, hope after, after that year Dotton, I strongly fancy an Italian team to win Serie A this season
0: we'll see we'll wait for that don't make your predictions too soon <laughs> you know he's a specialist in failure uh, I'm not I'm not If I do that in Chelsea, eight years, I leave London, I don't come back. Over in Germany, Bayern Munich have already won their first trophy. (laughs) Give give the other teams a break, for goodness sake. We know
2: you're going to win it all. Look, they've only won five out of the last six Super Cups. (laughs) I think that's very egalitarian. (laughs) Um, It always feels um, to me as if the the, the DFL Super Cup, the German Super Cup has a little bit more about it because um, I think for a number of reasons, I think the scheduling this season, the fact that it's after the Bundesliga season has actually started makes it feel a bit more live. I think the fact that it's at normally the cup winner's stadium as well, I think that makes it a little bit more special rather than it being displaced like happens with... French and Italian Super Cups to, you know, emerging markets and, and and what have you. So it does feel like a proper game. And the fact that we're getting an early barometer of where Bayern and Dortmund are, there's a huge amount of optimism around Dortmund at the moment. Marco Rosa has made a, a good immediate impact. Um, there's a sense that the players are re-energized. They feel they're going in a good direction without having made massive changes to the squad by any stretch of the imagination. With that said, death taxes Lewandowski scoring against Dortmund and celebrating it as if he never played for them or as if they did something <laughs> terrible to him. You know, he's now scored 24 times against Dortmund <laughs> in leaving <laughs> there, which is, is pretty special considering all the teams he beats up on. Now, personally, I, I, I quite I quite like that. I, First I, I, goal was
0: a cracker. You can't argue with that. It,
2: it was a tremendous header, but... Definitely no leadership in the centre of that Dortmund defence. And that is an issue for them. I'll come back to that because I think we should discuss Lewandowski, particularly as um, this morning there's been a bit of tattle in the UK media, as we record, about Lewandowski maybe looking for a new challenge. It's not being reported like that or at all in, in Germany. It feels like a, a, a quiet day to me. Because Lewandowski was very keen on leaving before, and he had a bit of a sulk when the Real Madrid move didn't go through. But since he's recommitted, he's played the best football of his career. Now, I think that's the interesting thing about him. And One of the things that stuck out for me in the, 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 the transfer speculation surrounding Lewandowski is, well, you know, he's turning 33 on Saturday. Well, age ain't nothing but a number, and that's really the case with centre-forwards at the moment. Because... We see centre-forwards all over Europe, not just maintaining their level, but getting better in their 30s. And Lewandowski is one of the very best examples of that. Now, he was never going to spurn the two chances that he got. And you're right, the, the, the header was fantastic for the, for the opening goal. But Dortmund's defending got worse and worse as it went on. I don't really want to prejudge them here because Manuel Kanji. I mean any, anyone can make an error leading to a goal. That 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 can happen. Axel Witzel is not a central defender. And Marco Rosa's plan for him to play at centre back against Eintracht Frankfurt, the opening Bundesliga game on Saturday, which I won 5-2. Um that was different because Rosa said, Well, I wanted us to be able to dominate. So I want someone who's who's a mapper of the game, playing at centre back. And I think that makes sense, especially after. Uh, Frankfurt lost Andre Silva, their, their main centre forward. Of course, he scored more goals in the Bundesliga than, than holland last season. Um, but I, I think Akanji is more of the issue and I, I know his team have closed ranks to protect him after after, after he made that ricket for the goal. But the, the fact is they haven't got enough strength in depth to not rely on him. I think that's an issue. You can't rely on Dan Axel Zagadu because he's fantastic but he's, he's not fit. And he's he's again out for for a little while. Mats Hummels is on his way back and he's going to be flying on the seat of his pants because they need him to perform straight away. So I think it's not that Dortmund can't be competitive this season, but what this game did is accentuate the doubts, I think, that that you have about Dortmund. And funnily enough, Dio Pumacano, the biggest doubt about Bayern is their defence. And Dio Pumacano, who of course, also came from Leipzig, like Julian Nagelsmann. He had a difficult first game in the league away at Borussia Munch and Gladbach. Could have given away two penalties in the closing moments and certainly the one for the on Marcus Turan. I think it should have been a pen. But for him to respond in the way that he did, one of the things I like the most about pumacano it can have a bad game and then just, it's history. You know, it's, it's, it's yesterday's news. The ability to move on from that, ideally, as a centre back, you get to a point where you don't have bad games. But to be able to do that as a young player who's developing to not let bad games weigh on you, I think is super important.
1: There's no footballers who don't have bad games, except maybe Javier Zanetti, who was just a seven out of ten every every week,
2: <laughs> every hair in the same place, <laughs> yeah, every every Sunday.
1: Um, I I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by by Bayern's um, position, not just in the Bundesliga, but I guess in a sort of bigger sense at the moment because this has been such a particular summer and we've, we've I guess we've touched on it a little bit from from the Italian context but the money is has been so drawn out of most clubs in the game and you have this very small pool of clubs who are able to throw it around still which is mostly Premier League clubs because the Premier League is still rolling in tv cash mm-hmm. um and but even among those it's mostly the ones that have independently um, wealthy states backing them. I was going to say when wealthy individuals, it's not individuals anymore, it's just states backing them. And then there's Paris Saint-Germain who've gone on their their um, their um fun spree. And I there's this sort of shift of, of, of power that's been happening for a while towards the Premier League, which is inevitable because of the money, and a shift towards Paris that's inevitable because of the money. And I just sort of think that Bayern are this odd outlier because They're not talked about in the same way as as sorry, as Barcelona and and Real Madrid, who are going through their own huge financial crises at the moment.
2: They're a better team than either of them, (laughs) but they're a a better team at the moment, yeah.
1: And they seem to just be more robust year to year with this stuff than than a lot of other clubs are.
2: Yeah, although I think if there was going to be a time to get Bayern, it would be now because Mm -hmm. Uli Hertes is is retired, Karl Heinz Rummenigge has stepped down. It's a lot of pressure on Oliver Kahn and a sporting director in Hasan Salihamidzic, who not everyone is completely sold on and also is been seen as the major driver between, uh, behind the departure of Hansi Flick because as we were saying before, Don, a, a week or two ago, that um, exit speech that Flick did where he thanked every single person he could think of connected with the club just so he could leave Salihamidzic out, which was <laughs> magnificent, obviously. But that that puts a lot of pressure on him going into this season, and as you say, in terms of the market, there's not really a huge amount of room for him to like show his chops because they're being sensible. Mm-hmm. I think if they really wanted to push it, they could, but but that's not the way that Bayern rolled. That's never been the way that Bayern have rolled, and what they're saying at the moment that that they're in position, they would like to think to maybe buy. A Marcel Zabitzer from um, from Leipzig, who would make a big difference to their midfield. I think you get him quite cheaply because he's only got a year left on his deal. But they feel that they need to get an outgoing over the line to get that off to to make the numbers work. And a man who I spoke to earlier in the week as as, as part of um of a, a, a virtual event that the Bundesliga did around the Super Cup, um, he, he said, "Look, you know we." Um, we we need to just wait. We need to be patient.
1: This is this is um, very much a, a, a long-term thought rather than right now because it's, it's very clear it's not happening right now and a, and a provocative thought but I was just thinking when you were talking about Lewandowski and how readily he enjoys his goals even against Dortmund. There's not a world where Haaland becomes another player to make that move down the line, is there?
2: I, well, I, I guess that it's not impossible to see the stars aligning but I think the difficulty there is Holland, a lot of people in Norway, and we're good friends with one of them. <laughs> but 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 believe he'll end up at Real Madrid. Yeah. Um. Although that,
1: you know, when a Real Madrid going to have the money again?
2: Well, yeah. We'll see. Um. Although he's is more affordable next summer. So mm. I mean, get saving Florentino. Um. Or, or the other places, the Premier League, I, yeah. I I, don't see the world where he stays in Germany. Well, the other
0: question to ask is, and given that Andy says that now's a good time to get at Bayern, the other question to ask is, and going back to what you were saying about uh, centre-forwards improving with age, how on earth are Bayern able to stop Lewandowski if all these rumours about him considering the Premier League are to be believed? You would have thought that was a natural place for him to come, wouldn't you?
1: I'm um, uh, if it depends what his goals are. I suppose uh, if he wants to, uh, uh, where well, he can go to a top club in any country he wants to. So if he wants but- to have that experience in the Premier League, he could. If he wanted to go to Spain, still, he could. If he wanted to go to. Italy
2: and, and, and
1: win a title there. I'm sure he could. He could do that Where everyone. You know what? I
2: think he wants Dutton? I think he wants to score against Dortmund every single well, that, that That can be arranged as well in the Premier
0: League if you're in the Champions League and much other things. But no, if, we're, if we've got a Premier League where people are talking about £150 million, pounds, you know, kind of crazy money for a centre forward, who would you put your money on? You know, if you were a chairman of a club, would you... Put it on Harry Kane, no disrespect, or Robert Lewandowski.
1: Well, Harry Kane is younger, is the reason you would spend it on on Kane. Well,
0: centre
2: forwards get better according to well, Andy's thesis I, with age. I, currently, I, 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 well, then buy by Kane, he'll be amazing in eight years.
1: <laughs> I, 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 I accept Andy's thesis, but I think it's got a limited time window. Still, I think it, it depends it, it goes on the player on for as well. While, but yes,
2: it depends on the player. I, I don't even know if that would be valid with with Harry Kane because. Doesn't like to rest. Yeah. Does it does he? Whereas I always think with um, you know, we're talking about like, you know, Lewandowski settling his accounts. Yeah. I always tend to think of him when he's on it, which is most of the time, he looks like every bit like the guy who arrived in Germany from Poland in the first place and was just pissed off that he couldn't get in the team. <laughs> Lucas Barrios got picked instead of him. That that first season at Dortmund, when they did end up winning the league, before he got the starting spot, he was just this sort of aura of seething anger. (laughs) And then he's been taking it out on the Bundesliga ever since.
0: (laughs) Uh, There is a, a tweet here from one of our listeners, Anna, who wants to know? You probably know about this, Andy. I have no idea. Although you showed me some video footage to be taken into evidence earlier on. <laughs> um, how successful has Coln's or Cologne's
2: goat cam been? Well, th- this is about their, their mascot, of course, uh, Hennis. They're now on to Hennis IX, uh, named after their former coach, uh, legendary coach, Hennis Weisfiler. And um, he's, he's a huge part of the match experience. And the, Hannah's right. The goat cam is very important for all this time that basically Hannah's been back at the zoo because he, you know he's he's not he's not been allowed in the stadium. He wasn't considered an essential worker during the pandemic. <laughs> um, he couldn't argue the case then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he was he was gutted that he wasn't considered their GOAT to guy anymore. Oh. <laughs> but, dear, oh dear, but um. It was unfortunate because Hennessy Ninth took over at the start of 1920. So he didn't even get the full season before the, the shutdown. I, I would have seen his last home game, actually, which was when they beat Schalke 3-0 in the, in the, in the February that year. Um, but, you know, he's a huge part of folklore. And getting fans and everything back in the state. Cologne is such a, a ridiculously optimistic football mad city which really appeals to me. Like last weekend, I had the traditional um, singing and prayers in Cologne Cathedral for the coming season. And then they went out there and Stefan Baumgart, their new coach, flat cap, very demonstrative, very much their kind of guy. Powered them to a win over over Hertha. So look, the GOAT cam has been important. I think we all need a bit more Henness in our lives, but... You know, the real thing is what we need now. Vorher spielt auch Alf Ramsey, der Teammanager des englischen Weltmeisters von 66, und vielleicht jetzt Steinmann mit einem Tor. Nein,
0: aber Stefan Kuntz. Let's switch to what's going on in France, not least with Lyon, uh, the likely lads, as it were, who
2: lost three uh, 0 to Angers. Yeah, and who would <laughs> I? Well, you know what? You'd know afterwards because they were fantastic, Angie. Um Managed now by long-term former Lyon assistant, uh, Gérard Baticle, who's a, a very respected coach, but um, not someone associated with the top job. He's now got his chance, taken over from um, the previous long-serving coach, Stéphane Moulin. Um, Angers could have won by a lot more. They were, they were fantastic. Um, I've, I've got a Mark or OTC's as cards about um, Muhammad Ali Cho, 17-year-old, um, born in France, spent a lot of time growing up in England while his um, parents worked here. He was in the academies at West Ham and Everton for a little bit. His family got a good vibe off Angers, and so he, he went and played there. He played quite a bit last season, but he's really connected with Batikla. And he absolutely tore Leon to bits. He was amazing. He's the guy that was brought on late on in the game, wasn't he? No, he started, he started this game. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, and he, he got um, absolutely cut in half at one point by Marcelo, who's very, very lucky not to get sent off for it. And I think Leon wished he'd been sent off <laughs> as it got deeper in the game as well. It was just 1-0 at that point with... Show giving them the runaround, and um, in the second half, um, Marcelo, who uh received one out of ten by LeKeep afterwards, and you always think it's, it's a point making mark, is uh, no one, no professional footballer ever has a one out of ten game. <laughs> this one was borderline. <laughs> Anthony it's Lopez so comes, well, well, I guess, to, to about the penalty spot to 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 get the ball. And he's always there. He's, you know, he's the pupil of Hugo Lloris. He's always off his line. You know where he is, even if you're not looking. Marcelo passes the ball back, it's not terrible, looking shocking. where. It's, it's an awful own goal. <laughs> and it, it, it goes into the corner. Second goal, which, which pretty much finishes it. It's actually not Marcelo who ends up getting sent off in the end, but uh, Maxwell Corne. But, the Marcelo situation has got really out of hand this week because Leon have effectively sacked him. Um, following the game, they um, in, in the middle of this week they released a statement where they talked about his um, inappropriate behaviour. Um, they're not talking about the, the fact that he had a very poor game um, and, and that he scored that own goal, but it was in the dressing room afterwards. Now that kind of hung in the air. People were wondering what this inappropriate behaviour was like singing Alé trying to celebrate his goal um, it, it could have been anything it turns out it seems that Leo Dubois the captain was given a, a sort of come on lads what are we doing here that was an awful performance kind of chat and Marcelo had a sort of bit of a smile on his face now that alone might not seem too much but it's it is accumulation of events he's had quite a tempestuous relationship with the fans over the years, which is since pretty much repaired. But um, th- there's the feeling that he's, he's not really been on his game. He's kind of like the Brazilian Gareth Bale. People are complaining that he's playing golf too much, basically. <laughs> he um, is, has not been rated at all by Peter Bosch, but he's, got, um, he's had Damian de Silva suspended. He's had um, an injury to Denier. That means he's not back in the team. So he's had to play Marcelo. And it's gone so so badly. And yeah, there's just been this overall sense that he's not really um been applying himself as late. So basically they demoted him to um the the reserve slash amateur team that plays in the fourth tier ahead of basically cancelling his contract and, and getting rid of him. But you know we were saying that that feeling before that you, you, you get from Inter mm. of you know not just personnel but momentum. I think if you look at the, the squad that Leon have still got it's pretty good especially in midfield like Inter mm. there are so many good players you're always going to end up leaving good players out you've got Bruno Guimaraes who's just come back from um, the Olympics winning with Brazil just like Lucas Paqueta who had a really good season in his first season since so coming from um, Milan last season Kakare um a young midfielder who come from the academy loads of good players but obviously Memphis was a talisman he's gone Peter Bosch has really struggled to get his targets in and he really struck, seems to have struggled to get his ideas across because there's so little cohesion in that performance. It almost seems to me, I don't know if I'm being a bit cynical here, but the Marcelo thing has drawn attention from the fact that Bosch's ideas don't appear to be working at all.
1: I, I was interested by exactly that thought um, because I saw there's already fan groups up in uproar and... Up one of the ultra groups, I think, that put out a statement, sort of basically saying, directed the owners rather than directed boss, saying you still need to give, uh, put your faith in boss. You need to do like this and that and support him. Mm. And that is interesting, isn't it? The new manager comes in, has a catastrophic result, and we're not talking about the things that he did wrong. It's all about what one player did wrong. Which, I mean, it was a very very bad game, but
2: but yeah. that can happen. Yeah, I mean. Peter Bosch did play a target man in Islam Slimani on the left wing. Mm. And he, he seems to have got away with that so far. I know he's only like two competitive games into his Leon career, but, you know, that, that's something that rings alarm bells. And I, I think what might eventually ring alarm bells for the fans is it seems he's displeased with the attitude of a lot of players. One of those players is uh, Ryan Shirky. A young player just turned 18 this week who's thought of as a future star from the academy. He hasn't seemed to take a shine to Shirky. And there was even a rumor on RMC Sport that he was one of the players he'd shortlisted to sell. The fans would not be having that, Mm -hmm. like one little bit. So, you know, I think the fans want something to believe in and a more aesthetically pleasing football future, I think, after Rudy Garcia. But bear in mind that, as we said, this was a team that was in with the chance of the title with a couple of games left last season. And yeah, they're in disarray it's, now.
1: Is 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 that? I mean, that even that, like in in with a couple of games, of the title is is there a mindset amongst everyone now after the summer at PSG that well, that, that's not a thing we talk about anymore, or is that
2: still still a hope? Well, I, th- I think after those first couple of games, but I, I think with PSG they've. If if it was a trailer for for a film, if you imagine the season being a film and the first two games that they played against Troyes and Strasbourg with a trailer, there's enough jeopardy in it for you to want to watch <laughs> the rest of the film because they've played in this like quite flaky way. You know, that they, yeah. they had their difficult moments against Strasbourg, especially when they couldn't cope with Ludovico Jorg, their, mm. their towering striker. And in the first game, they went one-nil down to Troyes, um Kelo Navas who obviously is under huge pressure with uh, Gigi Donnarumma arriving. He played in that first game as if you come and take my place off me. He made some really important saves, which helped him win that game in the end.
0: Okay, it's time for a brief look at your picks for game of the week. Andy, do you want to go first?
2: Um, I am going to go Saturday night. Athletic versus Barcelona. I think it's going to be great. Of course, two of the teams who uh, voted against the CVC deal. I'm sure that that will be the chat in the stands beforehand. Um, San Mames with fans back in it. Uh, I mean, we know they're not full in Spain yet, but I think it's going to be pretty special. And we're getting back to Athletic being a difficult place to visit. Though, I saw enough from Barcelona in that first game to think, you know, they they, they could be okay with that Messi. Oh, I just love Memphis as the star. It's brilliant. Brilliant.
0: Although Messi will still be in the backdrop somewhere in the conversation. I yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not quite arguing before
2: you <laughs> before you tweet in, I'm not quite arguing that the that, that Memphis is ready to fill those shoes. But he was very good against Real Sotheodan on the first day.
1: Forgive me if this turns out to be the way that it could, because we were talking before about him, but it has to be Mourinho's first game uh. back. It's Roma against Fiorentina. Will we see Tammy Abraham right away? I hope so. Mm. Um and uh, it's it's fascinating because it is the beginning of the, the, the new Mourinho chapter, but also this Fiorentina team, at least for now, might not be there by the time we get to the end of this transfer window, but mm. Dusan Vlahovic is, is a player that you want to be watching at the moment. Brilliant last season, 20 goals, uh, 21 years old, I think. Um, and he's got a, a bright, bright future ahead of him, whether it is in Florence or, well, sooner or later it will be elsewhere, whether it's this summer, it's elsewhere, we'll see. But, um, Fiorentina, uh, Fun to watch for that reason, but I don't know. you. Sometimes you have to go with the spectacle. And I think that Mourinho is a spectacle, at least in narrative terms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> good choice. Good choice. What's football without the narrative? Now, just a reminder that you can tweet us at any time during the week. Uh, tweet at, at Angie Brassel, at Dotton Adebayo, at Nikki Bandini or at Football Ramble, as CJ has done. Um, I know it's the beginning of the season but nevertheless the question is give us hope where might we see a traditional outsider
2: win their league this season anywhere in Europe well I, I touched on I think last week I think I touched on PSV Eindhoven who um, beat Ajax 4-0 in the um, Jaren the, um their equivalent in the Community Shield their, their, their Super Cup early on um, I, I really like PSV early doors um, they were really good against Benfica in the Champions League last night despite losing the first leg 1-0 Vlacodimoz had to have a, uh, 2-1 sorry um, Vlacodimoz had to have a really good game to to, to keep them from going back to Eindhoven with the draw the second leg will be a banger and you can add that onto game of the week for, for, for next midweek um, so uh, yeah the, the, the Roger Schmidt comeback starts here um, because given that I know people will say PSV are a big club etc etc they've spent money that is true compared to Ajax, you think after the money from De Ligt and De Jong and the Champions League semi-final money, they should be, like in a league the size of the Netherlands, they should be like impregnable for the next six, seven, eight years after after that. Um, I guess the other one I would earmark is is Portugal? They're not really an outsider because, of course, they're champions. They only lost one game last season, but it needs reiterating how incredible it was that Ruben Amorim got Sporting to win the league. And you know what? I think I actually think they could do it again. They've looked really, really good at the start of this season.
1: I don't think I can top Andy's answers. I, I, I would say again if if there's a team that's going to surprise people in Italy this season I think it would be Napoli and Napoli are not a team that get to
2: win titles so keep your eye on them imagine winning Serie A in an Amani kit like, like, <laughs> there could literally not be a more Italian thing it's going to happen <laughs>
1: This was
2: a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.